It's Tuesday, October 15th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. The situation in Syria continues to change rapidly, and now President Trump has announced sanctions aimed at restraining Turkey's military operations against Kurdish fighters. President Trump also said there would be steel tariffs and a halting of trade negotiations. And after announcing that troops would be pulling out of northern Syria, some will remain in the region to prevent the resurgence of ISIS. Marisa Fernandez, reporter for Axios, joins us for more. Next, the food industry is looking to turn garbage into profits. Looking to attract customers who say they want their companies to waste less and lessen their environmental impacts, companies are developing new products from things like cocoa husks, spent brewing grain, and even making synthetic leather from the leaves of pineapple plants. Heather Haddon, reporter for The Wall Street Journal, joins us for using waste to make new products. Finally, ranch dressing is now a $1 billion industry and is steadily beating ketchup as millennials' favorite condiment. Kristen Baylor, feature writer at Money.com, joins us for some of the numbers behind the rise of ranch. And then my producer, Victor Wright, joins us for who created the number one condiment. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. There's going to be crippling sanctions imposed by the Congress to supplement what President Trump's administration has done. We're going to send a signal to Turkey that's unmistakable uh, in the eyes of Erdogan and the world. And we're going to break his economy until he stops the bloodshed. Joining us now is Marisa Fernandez, reporter at Axios. Thanks for joining us, Marisa. Thanks so much. The situation in Syria and with the Kurdish fighters there in Turkey seems to be getting more and more complicated every day. Turkey has conducted a military operation there starting last week, and there's been hundreds of thousands of people displaced. And on the American side, the president has pulled troops out of there now. There's been a lot of criticism on both the left and the right with this action. Marisa, tell us what the latest is now. This story has been moving incredibly fast. Just Monday, several developments happened, both from the White House and congressional leaders. We reported Monday that President Trump issued U.S. forces leaving Syria to remain in the region to guard against ISIS resurgence. And he also announced suspension of trade talks with Turkey, a hike in steel tariffs, just a powerful additional sanctions against those guilty of human rights abuses, which seems like a lot. It was a lot. It was a lengthy statement. And this whole saga that has been unfolding has provoked strong criticism from Republicans, like you mentioned, and religious conservatives, as well as Democrats. They believe it's pretty much no coincidence that as soon as President Trump announced he was withdrawing U.S. special forces from the Syria-Turkey border that Turkish president started attacking America's Kurdish allies. Now, the president still stands by, as we have currently reported, as it stands, that his decision to pull the U.S. troops was his decision, and he's insisted he did not essentially give Turkey a green light. So the Turkish president and Kurds are reading his initiative, though, as such. So it's caused a chain reaction in terms of he announced something and it just snowballed into Turkey moving troops in, Kurds retaliating and banning with Syria um, in order to gain protection. 
and a lot of people in Congress are not happy about it. He still has not mentioned anything about basically what's going on. He still constantly maintains, I campaigned on this to get us out of endless wars. One of his tweets said, we're 7,000 miles away. Let Russia, let anybody help them out. Let Napoleon Bonaparte help them. We're so far away. He keeps trying to make this point that these are not our fight. So it's fine that we're out of this. One thing that was very interesting, reporting from one of your colleagues, Jonathan Swan, was that this whole thing got kicked off because of a bad call on a bluff. Apparently... President Trump and Turkish President Erdogan had been talking for some time now about this specific region. And up until now, President Trump had always said, hey, if you want to own this, if you want to keep track of those ISIS fighters, if you want to deal with the international condemnation of all this, go right ahead. And it was until just this recent last phone call that they had where Trump said he was going to take the people out and Erdogan said, OK, I'm going to go for it. So that was a very interesting development that happened. And essentially, it's Trump's business mentality, right? His part where he says, you know what, go ahead, do it. Go ahead and try or see what you can do without the U.S. And this is what happens. It's one of those things where the president has always pushed the agenda of America first. And America first for President Trump is working with allies when it benefits the U.S. And essentially playing the game in terms of negotiating is one of the things that he stands by in this presidency. And what we're seeing is that it didn't work this time. And a lot of people are concerned about it. So the president has said that some forces are going to remain in Syria to fight ISIS if there's any type of resurgence there. But largely, he is going to be pulling troops out of Syria. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senator Lindsey Graham spoke on Monday talking about bipartisan efforts to possibly overturn the president's decision to withdraw troops there. What is that going to look like? What have they said about that? So what's going on here is we have congressional leaders on both sides of the aisle essentially really, really concerned about what the White House is doing in this region. And they have not been shy about it. Now, what is interesting here is that they're going to start and they're quickly drafting a resolution to try and make the repercussions on Turkey stronger than what the White House is initiating right now. And what that means is that they're just going to draft something. And what we don't know right now, though, and what to watch and what I want people to start watching is it's too early to tell what the president's reasoning is behind these tariffs and the halt and trade negotiations that happened on Monday. It's uncertain right now that Nancy Pelosi and Lindsey Graham, if he's trying to get ahead of them, if he's trying to backtrack, it's uncertain what his mapping is on this move. And it's uncertain right now if it's even going to hurt Turkey in terms of trade. So what we have to do is watch that very closely and we should see a resolution from the congressional leaders very soon. Marisa Fernandez, reporter at Axios. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. There's more and more focus on waste and what is done with waste and potential penalties for just 
throwing out all this waste. So there is an incentive on the economic end in addition to inventing some cool new stuff. Joining us now is Heather Haddon, reporter for The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Heather. Thanks so much. The food industry is looking to turn garbage into some money makers. A lot of food and beverage companies are looking at things that are normally being discarded and using them in different ways to make new products. Things like chips and other ingredients, they're also looking to make clothes out of some of these things. Heather, why is the food and beverage industry looking into these things now? Just to be clear, we're not talking about like dirty socks or something like this. So (laughs) this is waste created typically through the food process. So one of the examples there is the cacao plant, which is what produces cocoa for chocolate. Something like 70% of that plant after the cocoa bean, which is inside, is harvested, the rest of it is thrown out. So it is actually a fruit. So all the fruit pulp is thrown out, the skin, the husk is all discarded. And big chocolate producers for a long time have been looking at all this material that has just been wasted and thrown out and been wondering, what could we do with this? So Mondelez, one of the big chocolate producers that make Oreo cookies and lots of other products like that, have just invented a new product called Kapow, which takes this cacao fruit and blends it with nuts and seeds. And they're starting to sell that in LA just as an experiment. And there's no guarantee for this stuff. This is all new kinds of products. This material can have a very different flavor and texture. So they're starting to experiment on a small level to see if people like it or not and might expand from there. Another big source of this material is the beer industry. So all the hops after they're brewed, turn it to beer, all of that is discarded. And it's traditionally either been discarded or sold as animal feed for a very cheap amount of money. And brewers are starting to look at that and say, what could we do with that? So can they take that spent grain and the hops and can we turn it into, say, like a snack bar with kind of a certain flavor to it? So there's a few incentives. We have this like sustainability cachet if we do these things, but it's also just there's more and more focus on waste and what is done with waste and potential penalties for just throwing out all this waste. So there is an incentive on the economic end in addition to inventing some cool new stuff. Yeah, the companies do want to attract the customers also who want to spend their money on companies that waste less and lessen their environmental impact. One of the numbers that you had in your article, sales of consumer goods marketed as sustainable, simple, or organic grew to about $130 billion in the U.S. last year. So this is definitely a section of the industry that they can capitalize on. And that's why they're looking at all these different things. And uh, farmers and manufacturers are creating 11 million tons of food waste a year. So there's a lot of different stuff to play with. And as you said, some of these companies are trying new things. It's not necessarily might not work, but you got to try it. And you got to see what, you know, you might have a hit on your hands. One of the things that was interesting is fabrics that are being made from food waste. Talk about that. So this is also, again, in its infancy, but there are some big names that are interested in this. A lot of European designers that are taking things like apple peels and other just discards and trying to use that to spin new types of sustainable fabrics because everything we know is actually cotton is a really environmentally destructive fabric to use. It's just It takes a lot of resources to produce cotton, and it's not very sustainable. So there is, again, an interest to try to market these products as more sustainable to, you know, eventually if these uh, supply chains grew big enough, I mean, there could be 
a cost beneficiary element to it as well. And just getting back to the beer element again, when I was talking to Anheuser-Busch InBev, I mean, they're giving this spent grain away to this startup to try to make these new products. I think they were making flour out of some of the spent grain because not like they're doing much with it anyway. I mean, they're getting like pennies per pound for it or something like that. So again, there could be a cost benefit for these companies as well to try to experiment with this. Just to add on to the whole notion about creating new fabrics and things, you were talking about how they're working with apple peels and cores and pulp from apple juicing factories, and they're making things like synthetic leather out of these. I think the person who created this one made from apples, they discovered it by accident. They were trying to produce a glue from the fruit waste, and then they made this uh, kind of faux leather by accident. And the same thing with pineapples. This is another company. They're making an alternative leather fabric called Pinatex, and uh, they use uh, the leaves of the pineapple plants right there. So just the ingenuity to repurpose some of these things, it never knew you could get something like a synthetic leather out of these types of things. So definitely a lot of places for these companies to explore. Yeah, no, it's really creative. I mean, there is, again, this incentive both from a cost perspective, but also just there is a halo to these products, particularly something like leather, where it's a pretty controversial product. And that's been true for a long time for people to wear just because, you know, it's made out of animal skin. If you can use something like apple peels, there's a halo around that. Heather Haddon, reporter for The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much. Ranch dressing is now a billion-dollar industry, according to Nielsen. It's far surpassed ketchup at this point, and Hidden Valley sales alone have grown 3% over the last year. Joining us now is Kristen Baylor, feature writer at Money.com. Thanks for joining us, Kristen. Thank you so much for having me. We're going to be talking about one of my favorite condiments, ranch dressing. It's now a $1 billion industry and it is beating ketchup as millennials' favorite condiment. Kristen, tell us a little bit about this. Yeah, well, first of all, I didn't know that it was one of your favorite condiments. So <laughs> we can talk about that off air. I have a, a bone to pick with you now. Oh, no. But <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Millennials are pegged to just about every consumer trend these days. They're killing casual dining and cereal and department stores, according to headlines, at least. So it's always kind of nice to hear about an industry that is booming, thanks to my fellow millennials. So yeah, ranch dressing. Ranch dressing is now a billion-dollar industry, according to Nielsen. It's far surpassed ketchup at this point, and Hidden Valley sales alone have grown 3% over the last year. What else have they been saying about the growth and popularity for this? You know, why is ketchup falling by the wayside where this is increasing in popularity? It's my assumption that it has to do with a little bit of clever branding by Hidden Valley. People don't just like ranch dressing. They really like Hidden Valley dressing. And we've seen things, as you probably read in my story, ranch dressing fountains, ranch dressing (laughs) mini kegs. That's powerful branding. And people are really, they've latched on to this brand. Yeah, I mean, that is a little much. I will agree with the mini kegs at your backyard and and whatnot. But 40% of Americans say that ranch dressing was their favorite in a 2017 survey, and nothing else really came close to that. And, you know, we talk about the decline of ketchup a little bit. That one's been kind of struggling for a little while now. I think salsa 
surpassed ketchup in retail sales as far back as 1992. Yeah, but there's also all sorts of more niche products out there now, including niche ketchup. There's curry ketchup, there's Tabasco ketchup. So there's so much more competition now. So it's kind of apples and oranges. Okay, so let's go back to uh, the fun part of this. How come you don't like ranch so much? (laughs) All right, let me amend that a bit. I don't not like ranch so much as I think the way that we talk about it is a little histrionic, right? So ranch dip is fine, especially homemade, but ranch dressing, like the kind you get in a Hidden Valley bottle, is fully a liquid. It's runny. It's for <laughs> it's for lettuce. Right. Okay. <laughs> and yeah, if you want to dip your pizza in ranch dressing, sure, go ahead. But um, I prefer my pizza to taste like pizza. I totally understand that. And for the longest time, my favorite ranch was at Denny's because it was that thicker type of ranch and it was perfect for dipping. So I totally understand that where the ranch you get in a bottle is generally a lot waterier. Well, we'll see how uh, everybody's uh, love affair with ranch continues to grow and see if anything changes in the coming years. Kristen Baylor, feature writer at money.com. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much. Join me now as my producer, Victor, for a little more ranch talk. Victor, tell us who we have to thank for the number one condiment now. Yeah, well, we have to thank Steve Henson, who used to be a plumbing contractor, and he created the dressing and fed it to his crew back in 1949 in Alaska. After he retired, he moved to Hidden Valley Ranch around where Santa Barbara is, and he would make home-cooked meals, and tourists would come to have these meals, and then they'd spread the word about this crazy dressing that these uh, people were putting on their salads. And then by the 70s, the ranch sauce was all over the country. You know, going back to what Kristen was saying in the interview earlier, there is a difference between ranch dressing and ranch dip. Uh, I will have to say that one of my all-time favorite things is just getting the ranch packet with the powder in it and getting some sour cream, putting that together. And that just makes like a perfect, thick, creamy dip. That's one of the unbeatable things there. My grandma used to bring that for like Christmas. I thought it was like homemade, amazing stuff. It turned out just to be (laughs) a packet in sour cream. She got you. Yeah, she did. (laughs) Do you have a favorite ranch dressing or or ranch? Earlier, I, I said also, you know, one of my favorites for the long time was at Denny's, just that they had a perfect ranch to spread all over whatever your moons over Miami or whatnot. But do you have a favorite one? Denny's is great. I think it is just the packet and the sour cream. So the Hidden Valley Ranch and the sour cream thing. I will say in the bottle, I do like Hidden Valley. I also like Ken's Ranch Dressing is also a really good one. They also make a killer honey mustard. So The best ones, though, I think also have other flavors in them. Like some restaurants that serve hot wings, you can ask to put buffalo sauce in the ranch. Oh. So then you get like this spicy ranch to put your fries and then cool ranch to put in your hot wings and stuff like that. That's so just crazy now. Those are the best. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't now, realize I, I crossed tainting, the line there. Now you're tainting the beauty of that ranch. Oh, my bad. <laughs> Thank you, Victor. Yeah. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 
This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.